Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning Trinity Community Church. How are you doing today? You made it here through the pestilence, the day after tomorrow like storm, you made it. I got to tell you this right now, we get an inch here, man, people lose their mind. I got to say this too. I've lived in a lot of places in the United States of America. The people that do our weather here, I don't know where they went to school. You got to do a little better than we could get an inch or 17 feet. We don't know. Hunker down, get your bread, get your milk, get your eggs. We, got, we can do better than that, can't we? So you made it. Uh, hello to everybody online. If you couldn't make it today because you are snowed in because you're, you're just south of Antarctica, it's good to have you with us today. Um, one of the things that I'm, but I'm blessed with, even through worship and stuff like that, is the multiple expressions of worship. Today, you get to experience uh, painting during worship. How many of you know that God gifted you to do something? So you take your gift and you do with your gift, you lay it before God and you do something with your gift. Um, I love that. That's like, you know, worship for the eyes, like dance. It's worship for the eyes. Um, It's good to have you with us today. Hope to see more and more of those expressions. Um, You're in for a treat today. I remember a few years ago, we, um, you know, we're we're a camping family. You know, you got beach families and we enjoy the beach, don't get me wrong. But, but we're mountain people. We love to, to camp in the mountains. And when I talk about camping, we're not talking about KOA. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about, what's it called, glamping? Where your camper looks nicer than your house? You know, we're, not, we're talking about camping, baby. So we, we were in Colorado. We had a 1966 Reddale Canham camper. It was beautiful, thing of beauty. Uh, little truck. And we went winter camping one, one season. And as we're at, at Guanella Pass, I'll never forget this, we get up there, a little dicey, but we have all of our supplies and everything, and as we get to where we're going to camp, very remote, about, about five, six miles from, from cell range, 10 miles to the nearest town, uh, as we get up there, we pull the truck in, and all of a sudden, the truck, the camper, and everything we have sinks down about a foot, and we're stuck. We're not getting out, baby. Now, thankfully, when we go camping like that, Greeks prepare. That means this, we were going to be gone for three days. I packed enough food for three weeks. I'll be eaten by a bear. I'll have a Sasquatch rip me apart. I will not die of starvation. We just don't do that. Greeks don't go out that way. Sorry, we just don't. So I remember sitting there talking to the family saying, okay, you know, tomorrow we got to, you know, we, we, we got to call for help. So we, we hunkered down for the night. That next morning I got Ty. He was small, jumped on the back of an ATV. Took us about an hour to get down off the pass to where I could get one cell signal to call out and get help. And this is the beautiful thing about living in community. We called the next day, the Calvary came in. We had about eight guys in the church show up in all their ATV vehicles, all their four-wheel drives, all their shovels. They dug us out, and baby, we lived. I ate that night. There's power in community. There's power in not living and being alone. As a church, sometimes we forget this, beloved. We are not lone rangers standing in the middle of the, of the desert all by ourselves. You know, We are part of a fellowship a community called the Assemblies of God. Um, and we are grateful today to have our superintendent who's here with us today. He is a powerful, strong word for us today uh, to remind us of, uh, of why we exist, why we suck here. Uh, Don is here with us today with his wife, Robin. Uh, make him feel welcome. Good morning. Well, it is a delight to be in Hokessin. Ah, got up this morning and the air was brisk, 10 degrees, yikes. 
Early this, uh, in the earlier service, uh, Pastor TJ uh, shared that camping story, and my wife leaned over to me and said, we're never going camping with them. <laughs> When we, were, when we were first married, we explored the whole idea of, of camping, and uh, I said to Ron, what would you think about camping? She said, sure, as long as it has a color TV and a microwave, I'm in. It took us a little while to get there, but <laughs> anyway, Robin, would you stand up and just wave to everybody? This is my favorite wife, Robin. <laughs> And uh, we, we so appreciate Pastor TJ and Robin. It, it is a delight to be connected and to know that you have fellowship. The word fellowship means to have in common with. And when you share the faith and you share Jesus, and in our uh, Assembly of God Pentecostal Fellowship, we, we share an appreciation for the infilling and baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment that comes through that. And, and uh, Pastor uh, TJ is just such a wonderful blessing to other pastors in our network, uh, and, and Robin also with her, her work with the women's ministry and so forth. So we just love you guys, and we so appreciate you. And thank you for allowing me to share in ministry uh, here at, uh, at Trinity. Well, this, this morning we're going to go to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, and the title of my message is Mission Share. Now, there, the story's told about um, uh, two little, little guys getting up on a Saturday morning, and their mom was making chocolate chip blueberry pancakes for breakfast. Uh, let me say that again, chocolate chip blueberry pancakes. All I can think of with that is it needs a scoop of ice cream and we're good to go. That's a great Saturday morning. So these two little guys are ready, man. They are sitting at the kitchen table. Mom's finishing up the first batch and they start to fuss and argue over who's going to get the first stack of pancakes. And you know how it is, and these two little guys, eight and ten years old, going back and forth. I'm getting, no, I'm, I'm the oldest, no, I'm the youngest. And, uh, and, and mom saw this as an, as an opportunity to bring a spiritual lesson into blueberry chocolate chip pancake morning. And mom said to the little guy, she said, you know, hey, guys, if, if Jesus were here, He'd let his brother have the first stack of pancakes. And the oldest son, without missing a beat, said, Jimmy, you be Jesus today. <laughs> today we're talking about sharing the joy of sharing the good news, the gospel. It's mission share. And we've talked already about the Great Commission we understand that. Those are Jesus' words. They're found in all four Gospels and in the book of Acts. But Matthew 28, 19 is the one that we tend to know the best. Uh, you, it says that uh, all authority has been given unto me. Go ye therefore and preach the Gospel. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Jesus said, and, and I'm with you, even to the ends of the earth. I'll be with you to the ends of the age. It's the Great Commission. But what we need to frame this 
these verses of Scripture out is not just uh, Jesus telling us, go do this, but what he's really doing is saying, come partner with me. It's not just the great commission, but it's the great co-mission. Break that word into two. It's we're partnering with Jesus. You know, Jesus was, a, Jesus was the ultimate missionary. He left heaven, came to earth. He left a place of great comfort and honor to a place of great humility. He left his throne in heaven. He was born in a manger. Let me tell you what. That's the, that's the heart. That's the practice. That's what missionaries do. It's unlikely, it's unlikely that we'll all go to be missionaries, although in our generation it is very achievable to do a missions trip. And I have a great appreciation. I think if you can, you should. It's a wonderful, eye-opening, immersive experience to go and participate. But, but let's be clear. There's a, there's a big difference between going for a week and going for a life. Come on. And so this morning we want to honor and we want to talk about those who have received that, that, that particular call to go. But that doesn't leave us out of the equation, does it? We can all be participants. As, as uh, Dan said earlier, we can pray, we can give, and yeah, we can go as well. Our text this morning is found in Philippians 4.15. And Philippians 4.15 says this, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only, you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I, I have all, or he's saying, I have all I need and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. These things are a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Let's pray, shall we? So Lord, as we look into your word, let your word look into us. As we get into your word, let your word get into us. And I pray that, Lord, we would not only hear the word, but do it also. Touch our hearts. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. So this could be viewed as a little thank you note from the Apostle Paul. Have you ever gotten a thank you note? It's nice when somebody sends some little written expression of appreciation for something that you've done, something that they're remembering in you. And that's what, that's what Paul's doing at this last part of the book of Philippians. He's thanking the Philippians, for their compassion, their generosity, and how they shared in what he was doing and taking the good news to the furthest corners of their world at that time. 
Maybe you remember how this whole thing got started. You remember the story of Paul and Silas, and they were in Philippi, Philippians, Philippi, same place. And they were, uh, they were arrested because of an uprising that had occurred, and they got blamed for it. And Paul and Silas get arrested, falsely accused, beaten, thrown in the stockade. If you remember the story, they're singing worship hymns to God at about midnight. You remember? And the place that they were in was shaken and all the prison doors opened up, and the jailer comes, and he sees this, and he's like, I'm toast. I'm going to get killed. They're going to treat me nasty. He draws out his sword and is ready to fall upon it. How desperate is that? And Paul calls out from the dark, dingy dungeon that he was in and said, do yourself no harm. We're still here. And the jailer goes in and he's trembling and what do I need to do to be saved? It was a good day in church. And they share with him the gospel and the jailer takes them home. He gets baptized, him and his whole family. He, he takes care of the wounds of Paul and Silas and this was the birth of the Philippian church. While in Philippi, Paul receives a vision from the Lord, and this is found in 9 and 10, Acts 16, 9 and 10, a vision appears to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision immediately, Luke says, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to go preach the gospel to them also. So Paul leaves Philippi, goes to Macedonia, but that didn't end his relationship with the Philippian people. They loved Paul. They loved the message that he brought to them. And they loved being a part of sending that message to Macedonia and to Thessalonica and to other parts of the then known world. This is what we're about as believers, isn't it? We've experienced, we've received the gospel. And Jesus said this, freely you've received, freely give. God's been good to us. Can I get a good amen? God's shown us his mercy. We've learned about the love of God. It, it behooves us. We're compelled to share that same love in word and in deed everywhere. So we share it across the street we shared in the next apartment, in our apartment building. We shared in our community. We shared in our workplace. We shared in our school place. We share it locally and regionally and globally. That's who we are. And in our fellowship in the Assemblies of God, we have some 13,000 churches here in the United States. And this morning, uh, somewhere around 3 million people will be worshiping in an Assemblies of God church somewhere. That's a lot of people, 13,000 churches and about 3 million people. But our culture since our inception back in 1914 has been a going and sending people. Early into our documents, we read that the Assemblies of God founders said, we desire to be part of the greatest evangelism the world has ever seen. 
It's who we are. It's in our DNA. Consequently, that three million in the United States is just a fraction of who we are globally. Today we have about 3,000 missionaries serving in foreign contexts. Not to mention the thousands of U.S. missionaries who minister back here at home. 3,000 missionaries and about 335,000 churches globally. 70 million people today are worshiping or have worshiped in an Assemblies of God context. That's a lot of people. 70 million. But when you consider that the population of the planet is 7 billion, we have to agree with J. Philip Hogan, one of our former missionary leads in the Assemblies of God, he said, we measure ourselves not by what we have done, but by the unfinished task that lies before us. And so we recognize that about a third or two billion, two and a quarter billion people on the planet have never heard the name Jesus. That doesn't discourage me, it challenges me. It says, it says to me, hey, let's roll up our sleeves, let's put on our jogging shoes, let's go to it. So this morning we're looking at the co-mission. We're talking about sharing the joy of sharing the gospel, mission share. There are three things that I want to point out in our text today that we can share when it comes to doing this global gospel thing we call missions. First, sharing in material support. Verse 15 and 16, you Philippians know that at the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you alone. Even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. There are two realities identified by Paul regarding his mission's expression. Number one, he had necessities. And number two, he received support. The believers from the churches in Philippi sent him support regularly. Now, it doesn't take a great imagination, but we're going to use our, 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 our information uh, of capabilities this morning to share what requirements there are associated with missions work. The list is huge. First of all, a missionary, when they are approved to become a fully appointed missionary, begins the process of itinerating, and they have to raise a budget. The average budget is somewhere between eight and $12,000 a month. It'll take the average couple, if it's a couple, individual, if it's a single, It'll take them approximately 18 months, a year and a half, to cycle through several hundred churches, putting tens of thousands of miles on their car <coughs> to accomplish this task. Why do they do that? Well, once they get on the field, in many, in many cases, the first thing they have to do is learn the language. 
They will spend a full year, 12 months, in language school trying to master a language that is usually foreign to them. And we hear great stories of our missionaries coming out. And it doesn't mean that they master the language. It means that they become intensely uh, familiar with it. I heard one, one brother said he was preaching and uh, he was trying to honor a lady that was in the congregation. And he did so by telling her she was a great cow. Oops. So they'll spend a year in language school uh, in, out, uh, out of our country, but in another country. There's also housing issues that, uh, that our missionaries have to navigate. And obviously, if they're in a metropolitan area, we have missionaries in Cairo, Huge population area. And we know from the United States, the closer you move to Washington, D.C., the higher the rent is. Our missionaries have to navigate some of those same realities. I had a missionary, I had a friend who became a missionary to Dubai. Dubai is known as one of the wealthiest, but also most expensive, most expensive places in the world to live. In fact, if you Google it, Google Dubai police or Dubai police car, and it'll pull up a Lamborghini. I want to be a cop in Dubai. Language, housing, transportation becomes another issue for, for them. And, and we thank the Lord for our youth and our youth movement and what they do for Speed the Light. I receive regular thank you notes from our missionaries who get a Speed the Light vehicle. And sometimes our Speed the Light vehicle can be, it can be an airplane. We've given small airplanes out, uh, uh, Land Rovers, Jeeps, uh, minivans, bicycles, even a yak. I don't know who rides a yak. I don't know how fast they go, but I'm up for the Lamborghini. How about you? In fact, I was in Honduras a few years ago, and we were going into the interior of the jungle for ministry, and we went in a motorized canoe up this one river, and this canoe was, it was a speed the light canoe, 40 feet long, had a 75 horsepower outboard engine. We made time. We were doing good. That, that, that canoe, there were about 25 of us in the canoe, but it was 40 feet long. It could, it could handle it. All of this part of the material requirements of doing ministry and missions in the 21st century. Then there are the project funds. We build schools and Bible schools and drill wells and found hospitals. There's all kinds of work that comes along with doing the gospel. We learned a few decades ago that we received many open doors in otherwise closed areas if we would simply go in and drill a water well. One government would, if we would drill a water well in their community for fresh, clean water, they would give land and we could also build a school and a church. 
And so we open ourselves up to creative avenues so that we earn the right to be heard with compassion. It's what Jesus did. It's what we do. And so there are tens and hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of dollars requested for these kinds of unique projects. Well, I wish I could sit here and tell you about, uh, I'm, I'm going to just take a moment. There, there's a, 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 a ministry, I'm not even going to tell you the name of it because it's so highly confidential, but it's a ministry that is operating in Muslim countries. And I sat down at dinner with the, the director and I, I asked him the question, how many Muslims are coming to Christ? Because I'm not hearing a lot of this, but I'm hearing smatterings of it. And he said, um, thousands. We can't count them because we cannot be too out in the open. And I said, am I understanding thousands? He said, let me correct myself, tens of thousands. And I'm blown away. Tens of thousands of Muslims are coming to Christ through this ministry. He said, let me correct myself. Conservatively speaking, 200,000. And I said, where are you meeting? They call it hiding in plain sight. They're meeting in mosques. But these missionaries need funded, right? So whether we're drilling a well in Africa or building a Bible school in Honduras or an orphanage in Egypt or wherever we are in the world, Paul talked about necessities. And then, of course, there's child care. Many of our missionaries go to the field and they have a family. And the family dynamic can spread across a, a, a major emotional continuum. Sometimes the children are born on the field. They're very at home in a foreign context because the foreign context is actually their home context. And other times the kids are kind of uprooted from their familiar to very unfamiliar. And I sat down and, and I, I spoke with a couple of missionaries whose children were entering and going through adolescence. And during that period, how many of you know, adolescence is a turbulent time in a family's life. And they, they, were, they were having some, some challenges because they had come home to itinerate and their teenage child actually loved the American culture and knew that in six or seven months, I got to go back. And the culture that I'm going to is nowhere near what this culture is. And they came, as you can imagine, to a point of crisis in a time that's turbulent anyway. These are some of the, these are some of the circumstances that our, that our missionaries face. On the one hand, great conflict. On the other hand, great compliment. I, I think of Chad Nelson, and Chad's in the Dominican Republic, and he was sharing with me his little daughter, Emma. She's just such a little sweetheart. And, and he, he, she said to her dad, Dad, when can we go home? 
And when she said go home, she wasn't talking about a town in the United States. She was talking about going back to the Dominican Republic. But we need to support these folks with our, well, with our resources so that they can do what God has called them to do and be well-resourced in doing it. To, the, to minister to the spiritual needs requires supplying the missionary families their physical and material needs. I am so thankful to be part of a fellowship that values the lost, that we go. And, and they have other uh, uh, needs that must be addressed. Thankfully, we support our missionaries with pastoral care and professional counseling as well. There are times where our missionaries face circumstances that evoke post-traumatic stress issues. I think of one missionary friend who told me a time where just because he was an American and he happened to be in Europe, he said there was a woman who came up to him, put her fist and just clocked him out of, for no reason other than he was the foreigner. If that happens a couple of times, how many of you know it starts messing with you? And then another missionary friend of ours, they, their, their context, they lived in a home that was protected by walls and wires. It was really a compound context because the culture that they lived in was dangerous when somebody discovered that you're an American because all Americans are rich. So they, they just assumed. And so they drove into their home one evening after a meeting, and the garage door they closed, and they, they found several armed gunmen who held them hostage for an hour while they pillaged their home. How many of you know that'll mess with you? Not only that, but for a portion of the evening, the wife had a barrel of a gun in her mouth while they threatened that if they did not comply and cooperate, they'd blow the back of her head off. This is what some of our missionaries face in country. They face danger, they face children and issues related to raising healthy children in a cross-cultural context. And sometimes their parents pass away while they're on the field. And it's impractical at times, even though the world's grown small and travel is much easier than it used to be. I, I asked one brother, Brother Sorbo, he went to Indonesia in the late 40s. I said, Brother Sorbo, tell me how you got there. He said, our family got on a freighter and away we went. Took us two months. The good thing was, he said, half the time the kids were in their own cabin and we were in our own cabin, but we stopped in a port and took on other passengers and we all had to crowd into the same cabin. I could just imagine in the middle of the night, man overboard. <laughs> Never mind. <clears throat> 
But today, travel is much easier, but that isn't a given. There are financial considerations involved, there are timing, and there's COVID. Sharing material support. Number two, Paul identifies not only sharing the material, but also sharing spiritual rewards. Verse 17, Paul said, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Paul made a point of clarification. He needed to communicate with clarity the priority of the matter. I'm not trying to shake you down. I'm not trying to get more out of you. I appreciate what you've given. I'm abundantly supported. Thank you for that. However, there is a matter of God blessing the blesser. And that's what Paul wanted to talk about. The fruit that abounds to your account. How many of you know sacrificial giving does not escape God's notice? Jesus said it like this in Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. What's he saying? Be generous and generosity will find you. Given it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Will men give into your bosom? For with the same measure you use, it will be blessed back to you. That's a good verse. It's the here and now, but also the there and then. Jesus told us to always keep an eye toward eternity. This life is not the only life, right? Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, Jesus said in Matthew 6, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break through and steal and inflation eats it away. He didn't say that. I'm just adding it. It's contextual though. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. Thieves can't get through and steal for where your treasure is. How many of you know that? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. I have grandkids. When I hear, pap, pap, all right, just what do you want? Anything you want, here it is. Get on Amazon, send them something. Why is that? Because I treasure those kids. And the, the touch of that love it draws a response. When my daughter would come up to me and say, Daddy, it was over. Break out the checkbook. You know, that's those things with paper. (laughs) Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Do we treasure people that are lost? And so Paul says, there's this thing of spiritual fruit when we enable others to share the good news, we share in their harvest. Can I say that again? When we enable, when we supply someone else who shares the good news, we share in their harvest. The credit that they get for going, we share for sending. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 3.8, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. Finally, sharing in God's promises. 
Verses 18 and 19, indeed I have all and I abound. I'm full, having received from Epaphroditus the things you sent me, a sweet-smelling aroma, acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. How many of you know that great promises are often paired with great challenges? This verse is a great promise. And I love it because what Paul is saying in essence is, look, God's got your back. The context of this promise is discovered in the word and. Sometimes I I get a little frustrated with Bible promise materials because they give us the promise without the context. There's a lot of promises in the Bible and they have the word if in them too. And this this promise has the word and, and the word and is a connector. It connects the context to the promise. So so when we say, hey, God's going to supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, that's what the Bible says, and it does. But it says it in the context of giving to missions. I know that it has a broader application. We we understand that. But let's stick to context this morning. You see, our sacrificial support for the work of God opens God's supernatural supply. It's cyclical because we give, it's given to us, which then gives us the means by which we can give again, which gives God the opportunity to bless again, and the wheels on the bus go round and round. It's the way it works. You see, God blesses those who are a blessing. It's the way it works. The message is clear. Those who share in the sacrifice will share in the blessing. A couple of years, well, it's been a couple of decades now. How time flies. We were having our church's missions convention, and we would give out commitment cards so that we could establish what our missions budget would be based upon what folks felt prompted to give. And that was part of our, that was part of how we did things then. And so we had these, these missions faith promise cards and, and we would take them home a couple of weeks before the, the, the time to hand them in and pray over them. What God, what would you have us to give? And missions giving, we would encourage folks that missions giving is above and beyond your tithe. It's a sacrifice. It's, it's giving to the spread of the gospel, not just what's happening in the local church. And folks were kind enough to support that. And so I was praying about it. I was doing my bills one week, and my cable bill was in front of me. And as it happened on the desk, there's the faith promise card. There's the Comcast bill. And it occurred to me, I think it was a Holy Spirit moment. The Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I I said, I give more to Comcast than I do to missions. Now, I remember that bill because that bill was $89. This was 1991, by the way. Put that in, yeah, yeah, I didn't do that anymore. 
And Robin and I were talking, and I said, we give more to Comcast than we give to missions. We're going to change that. So we agreed that we would increase our weekly giving. And we, we gave weekly. We'd, give our, we'd increase our weekly giving so that it always outpaced Comcast. And we further made a, a, a personal commitment. Now, look, look, this is what the Lord was doing in our life. I'm not trying to throw this on anybody else. This is just what was good for the Immel family. But we also said every year that we get a raise, God gets a raise. So our missions giving would go up incrementally as the Lord supplied, we gave, and the Lord supplied, and we gave. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He will. God loves it when we jump on board with where he's going. He doesn't tell us it's all on us. It's a co-mission. We participate together. As we, as we draw this to a conclusion this morning, I'm wondering if you would, there, there are three things that we can all do. Pray, give, and go. We can, we can we, to some extent, well, we can all pray. And I would, I would encourage you as you pray for your missionaries, get, commit, to, commit to praying for one or two or five, however many the Lord lays on your heart, but, but pray for them and their families. And, and right now, I'm going to ask us to pray together for Ron and Amy Jones. Your church supports Ron and Amy. They are missionaries to the Ukraine. And they have been advised to leave the country until things stabilize there. And so Amy and the kids came home Friday night, and Ron is navigating his exit today. So he wasn't able to get out with the kids on Friday. So would you join me in prayer for Ron and Amy? Father, we, we just pray for Ron and Amy. Thank you for their obedience and their wisdom, Lord. And uh, we pray for, there's some missionaries who are staying behind, but uh, Lord, we pray that Ron be able to uh, get out safely and timely and be reunited with Amy and the kids uh, so watch over him and make his path straight, we pray. Father, for us, uh, help us to share the good news in our, in our house, in our neighborhood, in our town, in our state, in our region. Help us to share this good news in our country. God save America and around the world. We make ourselves available to you and to your purpose in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Dawn. Um, we're going to take communion together in a moment. If you need to right now, grab your elements. Go ahead and grab them. They're in the back. I suggest these are the take-home communion things, so try opening that thing now. It'll take you about three minutes to get that thing open. If you're good mechanically, help out a brother. Help a brother out. If you're good at escape rooms, help a brother out. Thank you. <laughs> Trish is awesome. Toby delegated. Toby's good at delegating.
Kobe John Harris. Um, I want to encourage you. Um, sometimes, you know, we, we, and again, you love me because you have to. Jesus said you had to love me. He said, especially you got you to love big-headed Greeks. You got to love us. Sometimes when it comes to the body, we are self-focused. We come into God's house. We're like, okay, Lord, what are you going to do for me today? And we forget the essence of the gospel is not about what God can do for us, but what he's asking us to do for the kingdom. It is. God saved us. Not so that we could just hang out and have a good time in the Christian hot tub. He saved us and he called us to save others. So I want to encourage you. What you heard today, what is God speaking to you through what you heard? Do me a favor, shut your eyes for a second. You know, the Holy Spirit, you hear me say this all the time. The Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. You're part of his sheep. You hear his voice. Listen for the Holy Spirit. What is he speaking to you today when it comes to mission? Co-laboring. Sharing your faith. That's part of our big three. We love God. We grow in our faith share our, our lives and our testimonies with others. What's he asking me today? Listen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.